section twenty nine of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter four part five it may be observed in all these extracts how fond chaucer is of as it were welding one couplet and one paragraph to another by allowing the sense to flow on from the last line of the one through the first of the other thus producing an alternating movement of the sense and the sound instead of making the one accompany the other as is the general practice of our modern poetry this has been noticed and a less obvious part of the effect pointed out by a poet of our own day who has shown how well he felt chaucer by something more and much better than criticism chaucer observes lee hunt took the custom from the french poets who have retained it to this day it surely has a fine air both of conclusion and resumption as though it would leave off when it thought proper knowing how well it could recommence it is so favourite a usage with chaucer that it may be sometimes made available to settle the reading or at least the pointing and sense of a doubtful passage and it is also common with his contemporary gower the following is the first introduction to the reader of emily the heroine of the knight's tale of palamon and arcita thus passeth year by year and day by day till it fell once in a morrow of may that emily that fairer was to seen than is the lily upon his stalk a green and fresher than the may with flowers new for with the rose colour strof her hue i not which was the finer of them two ere it was day as she was wont to do she was arisen and all ready dight for may wool have no sluggardy a night the season pricketh every gentle heart and maketh him out of his sleep to start and saith arise and do thine observance this maketh emily han remembrance to don honour to may and for to rise he clothed was she fresh for to devise her yellow hair was broidered in a tress behind her back a yarda long i guess and in the garden as the sun uprist she walketh up and down whereas her list she gathereth flowers parti white and red to make a saddle girland for her head and as an angel heavenlick she sung of the many other noble passages in this tale we can only present a portion of the description of the temple of mars why should i not as well eke tell you all the portraiture that was upon the wall within the temple of mighty mars the red all painted was the wall in length and bread like to the estrus of the grisly place that height the great temple of mars in trace in thilke cold and frosty region there is mars hath his sovereign mansion first on the wall was painted a forest in which there wanneth neither man nor beast 
with knotty nary barren trees old of stubbus sharp and hideous to behold in which there ran a rumble and a swow as though a storm should breast in every bough and downward from an hill under a bent there stood the temple of mars arme potent wrought all of burned steel of which the tree was long and straight and ghastly for to see and there out came a rage and switch of ice that it made all the gates for to rise the northern light in at the door shone for window on the wall nay was there known through which men might in any light discern the door was all of athamanty turn he clenched over the thwart and end along with iron tough and for to make it strong every pillar the temple to sustain was ton great of iron bright and sheen there saw i first the dark imagining of felony and all the compassing the cruel ire red as any gled the pick a purse and ache the palet dread the smiler with the knife under the cloak the shepin brenning with the black smoke the treason of the murdering in the bed the open war with woundest all the bled contec with bloody knife and sharp manace all full of chirking was that sorry place the sleer of himself yet saw i there his heart of blood hath bathed all his hair the nail he driven in the shod on height the cold of death with mouth gaping upright amidst of the temple sat mischance with discomfort and sorry countenance yet saw i woodenest laughing in his rage armed complaint althus and fierce outrage the karen in the bush with throat e corvin a thousand slain and not of qualm e storvin the tyrant with the prey by force he raft the town destroyed there was nothing left the statue of mars upon a carta stood armed and looked grim as he were wood and over his head there shining two figures of stars that been clapped in scriptures that one puella that other rubius this god of armus was arrayed thus a wolf there stood before him at his feet with iron red and of a man he eat chaucer's merriment at once hardy and sly has of course the freedom and unscrupulousness of his time and much of the best of it cannot be produced in our day without offence to our greatest sensitiveness at least in the matter of expression besides humour in poetry or any other kind of writing can least of all qualities be effectively exemplified in extract its subtle life dependent upon a thousand minutiae of place and connection perishes under the process of excision it is to attempt to exhibit not the building by the brick but the living man by a pound of his fair flesh we will venture however to give one or two short passages nothing is more admirable in the canterbury tales than the manner in which the character of the host is sustained throughout he is the moving spirit of the poem from first to last here is his first introduction to us presiding over the company at supper in his own gentle hostelry that hight the tabard fast by the bell in southwark on the evening before they set out on their pilgrimage great chira made our host us of rich one and to the supper said he us anon and served us with vitel of the best strong was the wine and well to drink us lest a seemly man our host was withal for to hand then a marshal in an hall a large man he was with iron steep 
a fairer burgess is there none in chief bold of his speech and wise and well he taught and of manhood he lacked write him naught eke thereto was he right a merry man and after supper playin he began and spake of mirth among us other things when that we hadn't made our reckonings and said thus now lordings truly ye been to me welcome right heartily for by my troth if that i shall not lie i saw not this ye switch a company at once in this herber wa as is now fain would i do you mirth and i wist how and of a mirth i am right now bethought to don you ease and it shall cost you not ye gone to canterbury god you speed the blissful martyr quite you your mead and well i wot as ye gone by the way ye shapen you to talk and then to play for truly comfort nay mirth is known to riden by the way dumb as the stone and therefore would i maken you disport as i said erst and don you some comfort and if you like it all by one assent now for to standen at my judgment and for to wirchen as i shall you say to-morrow when ye riden on the way now by my father's sola that is dead be ye merry smiteth off my head hold up your hondas withouten more speech they all gladly assent upon which mine host proposes further that each of them they were twenty-nine in all besides himself should tell two stories in going and two more in returning and that when they got back to the tabard the one who had told the tales of best sentence and most solace should have a supper at the charge of the rest and as the eloquent sagacious and large-hearted projector of the scheme for to make you the more merry i will myself and gladly with you ride ride at mine owen cost and be your guide and who that will my judgment with say shall pay for all we spend in by the way great as the extent of the poem is therefore what has been executed or been preserved is only a small part of the design for this liberal plan would have afforded us no fewer than a hundred and twenty tales nothing can be better than the triumphant way in which mine host of the tabard is made to go through the duties of his self-assumed post his promptitude his decision upon all emergencies and at the same time his good feeling never at fault any more than his good sense his inexhaustible and unflagging fun and spirit and the all-accommodating humour and perfect sympathy with which without for a moment stooping from his own frank and manly character he bears himself to every individual of the varied cavalcade he proposes that they should draw cuts to decide who was to begin and with how genuine a courtesy at once encouraging and reverential he first addresses himself to the modest clerk and the gentle lady prioress and the knight who also was of his port as meek as is a maid sir knight quote he my maester and my lord now draweth cut for that is mine accord cometh near quote he my lady prioress and ye sir clerk let be your shamefastness nay studieth not lay hand to every man but for personages of another order again he is another man giving and taking jibe and jeer with the hardest and boldest in their own style and humour only more nimbly and happily than any of them and without ever compromising his dignity and all the while his kindness of heart simple and quick and yet considerate is as conspicuous as the cordial appreciation and delight with which he enters into the spirit of what is going forward and enjoys the success of his scheme for example when that the knight had thus his tale told in all the company nas there a young na old that he nay said it was a noble story and worthy to be drawn to memory and namely the gentlest ever rich one 
our host a lauf and swore so mota i gone this gulf aright unbuckled is the mail let's see now who shall tell another tale for truly this game is well begun now telleth ye sir monk if that ye come somewhat to quitten with the knightest tale the miller that for drunken was all pale so that unneaths upon his horse he sat he nold a vellon neither hood na hat nay abiden no man for his courtesy but in pilot's voice he gan to cry and swore by armus and by blood and bones i can a noble tale for the knowns with which i will now quite the knightest tale our host saw that he was drunken of ale and said abide robin my leather brother some better man shall tell us first another abide and let us work and thriftily by goddess soul quote he that will not i for i will speak or else go my way our host's answer read tell on a devil way thou art a fool thy wit is overcome now hearkeneth quod the miller all and some but first i make a protestation that i am drunk i know it by my sound and therefore if that i misspeak or say white it the ale of southwark i you pray the miller is at last allowed to tell his tale which is more accordant with his character and the condition he was in than with either good morals or good manners as the poet observes what should i more say but this miller he nold his wordis for no man forbear but told his churlish tale in his manere methinketh that i shall rehearse it here and therefore every gentle wight i pray for goddess love as deem not that i say of evil intent but that i mota rehearsa their tales all all be they better or worse or ellis falsen some of my matir and therefore whoso listeth not to hear tune over the leaf and choose another tale for he shall find thee now both great and smale of story old thing that toucheth gentleness and eke morality and holiness the miller's tale is capped by another in the same style from his fellow churl the reeve or bailiff who before he begins however avails himself of the privilege of his advanced years to prelude away for some time in a preaching strain till his eloquence is suddenly cut short by the voice of authority when that our host had heard this sermoning he began to speak as lordly as a king and said a what amounteth all this wit what shall we speak all day of holy writ the devil made a reeve for to preach or of a souter a shipman or a leech say forth thy tale and tarry not the time lo depa ford and it is half way prime lo greenwich there many a shrew is in it were all time thy tale to begin the last specimen we should give of our host shall be from the clerk's prologue sir clerk of oxenford our hostess said ye ride as still and coy as doth a maid we're a newa spoused sitting at the board this day nay heard i of your tongue a word i trow ye study abouten some suffime but salomon saith that every thing hath time for goddess sake as beth of better cheer it is no time for to study and hear tell us a merry tale by your fay for what man that is entered in a play he needest must unto the play assent but preaches not as frerest done in flint to make us for our old sinners weep nay that thy tale make us not to sleep tell us some merry thing of adventures your terms your colours and your figures keep them in store till so be ye indite high style as when that men to kingus write 
speaketh so plain at this time i you pray that we may understand what ye say this worthy clerk benignantly answered hosta quote i am under your yurda ye have of us as now the governance and therefore would i do you obeisance as fur as reason asketh heartily i woe you tell a tale which that i learn it at padau of a worthy clerk as prevod by his wordis and his work he is now dead and nail it in his chest i pray to god so yevia his sola rest francis petrarch the laureate poet hiata this clerk whose rhetorica sweet enlumined all itala of poetry as linian did of philosophy or law or other art particular but death that will not suffer us dwell in here but as it were a twinkling of an eye them both hath slain and allah we shall die in our last specimen of the canterbury tales and also of chaucer being a passage exhibiting that power of pathos in the delicacy as well as in the depth of which he is unrivalled shall be taken from this tale told by the clerk the exquisite tale of griselda her husband has carried his trial of her submission and endurance to the last point by informing her that she must return to her father and that his new wife is coming by the way and she again answered in patience my lord quoth she i wot and wist alway how that betwixt in your magnificence and my povert no white knee can knee may make in comparison it is no nay i na held me never dine na in no manier to be your wife nay yet your chamberier and in this house there ye me lady maid the higher god take i for my witness and also wisly he my sola glade i never held me lady nay maestress but humble servant to your worthiness and ever shall while that my life may dure above in every worldly creature that ye so long of your benignity han holden me in honour and nobly whereas i was not worthy for to be that thank i god and you to whom i pray for yelled it you there is no more to say unto my father gladly will i wen and with him dwell unto my life's end god shielda switch a lordis wife to take another man to husband or to make and of your new wife god of his grace so grant you weal and prosperity for i will gladly yield in her my place in which that i was blissful wont to be for a sith it liketh you my lord quoth she that woolum wherein all my hardest rest that i shall gone i will go where you list but thereas ye me proffer switch thou where as i first brought it it is well in my mind it were my wretched clothes nothing fair the which to me were hard now for to find begin italics o good a god how gentle and how kind ye seemed by your speech and at your visage the day that make ed was our marriage end of italics but sooth is said all gaita i find it true for ineffective prevet is on me love is not old as when that it is new but certes lord for none adversity to deign in this case it shall not be that ever in word or work i shall repent that i you gave mine a heart in whole intent my lord ye wot that in my father's place ye did me strip out of my pora weed and richly ye clad me of your grace to you brought i naught else out of dreed 
but faith in nakedness and maidenhead and here again your clothing i restore and eke uh, your wedding ring for evermore the remnant of your jewels ready be within your chamber i dare it safely sane naked out of my father's health quoth she i came in naked i mote uh, turn again all your pleasance wold i follow fain but yet i hope it be not your intent that i smockless out of your palace went let me not like a worm go by the way remember you mine own lord so dear i was your wife though i unworthy were the smock quote he that thou hast on thy bake let it be still and bear it forth with thee but well uneathus thilke word he spake but went his way for ruth and for pity before the folk herself and strippeth she and in her smock with foot and head all bare toward her father's house forth is she fair the folk her following weeping in her way and fortune i they cursing as they gone but she fro weeping kept her iron dray na in this time word nay spake she none her father that this tiding heard anon curseth the day and time that nature shope him to been alivest creature there is scarcely perhaps to be found anywhere in poetry a finer burst of natural feeling than in the lines we have printed in italics end of section twenty nine